My wife Jenny, my wife Jenny says that at times I can be a little bit of a whirling dervish. Okay? She says that sometimes I can blow into the house and I start just picking things up and then I'm cleaning and then I'm I'm a whirling dervish. And so I admit that I'm a little bit of a neat freak. Okay, this is church. I have to be honest. Okay, fine. I'm a little bit of a huge neat freak. Okay? On Thursday, I picked up Maddie from school, and I took her to my church office. And she goes in, and and she's doing this. And then out of her mouth, she goes, Daddy, your office is so clean. And I go, I know. (laughs) Okay. See, like in my house, I'm one of five people. I'm a minority thing in my home. And so I'm married to a teacher, a kindergarten teacher, and there's stuff associated with that. My oldest always has projects going on, soldering. You know, I'm sure right now in the trunk of his car, there's sound equipment, okay? Uh, My uh, middle child, when she does art, it's full contact painting and paints everywhere, and that's just how it is, all right? Uh, My youngest believes that the proper way to store uh, clothing and the proper way to store toys is to actually pile them on the floor of her room. And then if that doesn't work, she comes and she piles it outside the door to my bedroom. And so now there's a pile that I get to trip over. Um, And so when we bought our current home, the realtor who sold us the home, which was a gift of extended family members, she said this phrase, and I didn't understand it when she said it. She said, now you know this house is a woman killer. And I said, huh? She goes, yeah, this house is a wife killer. You just need to understand that. I understand now. See, what she was saying is this house has enough square footage that one person cannot possibly have this be June Cleaver's home. It, it, it's not going to happen. You're working against, you know, momentum, force, velocity, all those physics terms that I don't understand, okay? And so I, I get it now. My mom is constantly saying, things, saying this to me. Mark, it seems like you guys are just always cleaning stuff out of your house. I don't know why you bother. Like, well, thanks, Mom. You know, part of the reason for that is, like, it's. I mentioned there's five people in my house. My house is also the hub for several things. Like, every summer there's the swim team. And so the swim team computer, the swim team time cards, the swim team ribbons, the swim team stuff, it invades my house. It's in my kitchen, my living room, my dining room. Sometimes there's ribbon storting that goes on on the dining room table. Then there's kindergarten, and then right now there's first, second, and third grade in the basement. And so that comes, and that's in the house. Um, Church, for the longest time, there was like lots of church stuff we'd have to labor up. No, you cannot use that. That's church stuff. This is our stuff right here. And so there was church stuff and then Vanderpool stuff, and that was everywhere. And then uh, there's always people that are like, hey, could I store this? And so then we're storing for extra stuff. So it just kind of accumulates. And we kept telling ourselves that we would tackle stuff in our home. We did. We were like, we're going to get this. We're going to do this over fall break. We're going to do this over Christmas break. We're going to do this spring break. We are so doing this. And then it was, you know what? By the end of this summer, we are going to tame stuff in our home. By golly, this is going to happen. And I'm here to tell you, it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. Because we've always had some kind of deadline. The start of swim season, there's the nutcracker, there's graduation. There was always some kind of deadline that was like, well, we got to do the deadline. And then after the deadline, we'll get to, you know, tackling stuff. 
And if the deadlines weren't enough, there was also the other people. Hey, could you, we've got friends that have a boat. And like every third weekend, hey, could you go to the lake with us? And you're like, hey, could I have some friends like that? I know. But they're always asking things. Or, could we come over? Could we hang out? Could, and so you can't get to the stuff because you're also spending time with people. If you have a house or apartment, you get this, right? Today in your life, you have more stuff than you did five years ago. You just do. In America, it's kind of how it works. It just naturally accumulates over time. And a few years ago, my wife verbalized it. This is what she said. I am tired of other people's deadlines. I am tired of other people's wants and needs dictating my week. I am tired of dealing with stuff in my house that I did not bring in this house. In that moment, the neat part of me was like, amen, glory, sister. Like I was ready to put my stick in the fire, sign a card, get baptized. I mean, I would have signed on. (laughs) I would have signed on right that moment because I was like, this woman speaks the truth of God. Okay? Here's the thing. We're not where we want to be as a family, but we're not where we were. And it's required change on my wife's part, and it's required change on my part. And I kind of want to unpack that for you today. Remember, part of this series is I'm getting to preach to myself, and you're getting to listen in. So yay, you get to figure out how some of your church leaders have some issues they need to work on. In America, there are actually three unspoken priorities that most of us live by. We wouldn't admit it publicly. We don't put it like on a cute little quilted thing above our kitchen table. But this is pretty much kind of how we roll in America. So here's our priorities. Take care of the house, meet the next deadline, keep people in my life relatively happy. And this is kind of how we roll. And the ironic thing is, this is not really living, is it? This is kind of like surviving. Americans are basically in survival mode. We're just hoping to make it to next weekend. If I can just hit September, it's going to be better. If we can just hang on till Christmas break, it's, you know, and so we kind of, ugh. here's the thing about survival living. This doesn't work over a decade or over two decades. It's not a way to live because here's what I know. Surviving is like treading water. Some of us can tread water longer than others, but eventually we all go under, <laughs> right? So, so again, those are the unspoken priorities. So this summer, our family did some things that were different. We, I didn't preach for six weeks in a row. Weird for me not to do that. Um, we went to the beach. Then my wife took the kids another time back to Virginia. And she got all into grief. You know, why are you going back to Virginia? Da, da, da. Here's the thing. My wife is wise. Oh, wait. Shh. Okay. Don't tell her I said that. And don't have her access to the sermon audio file. Because you know, in like future arguments, it's going to be on her smartphone. And as soon as I disagree, she's going to go, wait a minute. Listen to this, Max. My wife is wise. My wife is wise. My wife is wise. <laughs> and then I'll never get to win an argument ever again. Okay? So... But it is true, she is wise. And she wisely determined that we were at a season where family connections, taking some trips, took priority over the house or over some other things that we thought were important but maybe weren't as important as we thought they were. And so here's some things that I've changed in my life. Like I I used to take a day where I didn't do anything for generations, but lately I've taken a day where I don't do any kind of work And I've noticed that I'm whirling a little less. 
and the less whirling has also made me a little less grumpy. It's weird how this has played out. I, I don't understand the science behind it. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay? But all that leads me to ask this question. Okay? And if you'll put my question up. What would you say, what would you say is the most important thing or set of things in your life? Most of us know that there's like supposedly a right answer. Okay, the most important things in my life are God and family. And okay, you know, we have this list, right? This is, this is the correct answer. Okay, but here's the deal. If your smartphone or your calendar could come alive like the candelabra in Beauty and the Beast, it would have a foreign accent because it wasn't made in America, okay? And if it could come alive and it could, it could either corroborate or accuse you about based on how you just answered that question, would it go, ha, 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 you're spot on, you love your spouse, your children, God is so very important to you, I can see that with your ch-ch-tenants, ha, ha, great God. Or would your smartphone or calendar go, what? You say, what's it, God, family is important to you? You squeeze them in last Thursday, boss. Okay, so what would your calendar say if it could come alive and confirm or deny what you, how you would answer that question. Now, I know some of you are here and you're students or you're an adult, and this is your life. You go to school, and when you come home, that's it. You have no commitments. You, if you were honest, you would go, well, I game a lot, and then sometimes on weekends I binge watch Netflix, okay? And, and then there's some adults. Well, I have a job, but, but when I'm off the job, like, it's my life. I get to choose what I do, da 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 some of us in the room would go, can we swap for a couple weeks? Okay, and I know it sounds awesome, but here's what I would suggest to you. Over time, living that way is going to become boring. There's going to be this part of you that's kind of like not satisfied with it because it's not going to really be enough. And the reason is you weren't meant to live for just you. So hang with me as I talk about priorities with the rest of us. So today... That's, that's really what I want to kind of drive home for you and for me, and that's simply this. I want you to prioritize. I want you to say, this is more important than that. I want you to be able to say yes to some things so that you can say no to other things. And here's what I know. Jesus shows us how, and Jesus models it, and Jesus can help you and me to actually live priorities out in our life. If you brought a paper Bible, you can open it to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. If you've got your digital Bible, you can launch that app right now, and we're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Mark's Gospel is the fast-paced Gospel of the four that we have in the New Testament. Mark's Gospel works like this. Bam, 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 bam. That's one thing after another, and it's driving and driving and driving, and it culminates in chapter 15 where Jesus has just died, and the centurion says, holy cow, Batman, that was the son of God, and we just killed him, okay? Culminates to that moment, so everything kind of drives to that. Mark's gospel's fast-paced, and so in Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he tells people, hey, repent, you need to get ready for God. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, then Jesus starts doing the very same thing that John was doing. And we see Jesus make this statement in 
Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Then Jesus casts out a demon that was infecting, infesting someone, living in someone's body and soul, ruining their life. Come out, and the demon comes out, and people are floored. People are astonished. The word used in Mark's gospel is amazed, like op- gaping open mouth. And they are looking at Jesus, and they're going, okay, so you're a rabbi, but see, we know rabbis, and they don't, they don't do that. They don't do the whole, <laughs> you know. We, we hear the teachers of the law and the scribes and the Pharisees, and they tell us about God, but the way you talk about God, boy, you're, this is different. Wow. Okay, so he has that response, and that's where we pick it up in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 and following. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away, so he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. So Jesus and his disciples are celebrating a Sabbath meal with friends. It's a nice, you know, he's done the whole big public repent. His disciples have been baptizing people. He does the whole casting out a demon. He teaches in the synagogue. People are like, whoa, now it's some time to get away and and connect with each other. And they're having this Sabbath meal. Uh, Peter, or Simon's mother-in-law, is sick. He heals her. It's a quiet miracle. It goes uncelebrated, but it's recorded in the gospel. She's able to help prepare things for their Sabbath celebration. And they're, to use an American word, chillaxing. Okay? Look what happens next, verse 32. That evening, after sunset, meaning after the restrictions about traveling during the Sabbath went away, that evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. Remember the whole gaping open mouth thing? Okay? So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Jesus is deluged with people and what they need and what they want him to do. And they're literally gathered outside the door in a big crowd. I think if Jesus had come like today, here's what I suspect would be true about him and his ministry. He would be emailed constantly. His cell phone would be ringing off the hook. He would have a gazillion friend requests. Everyone would want to follow him on Twitter based on this little snapshot from Mark's gospel. And he would be asked to be making appearances. And he would certainly get offers. Jesus, Jesus, could you please speak at Conference Ignite? We'll give you $20,000. All you have to do is get up on the platform for 30 minutes. Please, Jesus, please. He would be deluged with requests. And that's exactly what's going on here. And so I want you to see early on, you have, this is God becoming one of us. God knows what it is to have people have a plan for your life that doesn't match up with what's supposed to be the plan for your life. 
God knows what it is to have people and their expectations and their wants and what they want you to do for them, pushing and pulling on you. We see that right in this snapshot in Jesus' life. So look at what happens next, and that's verses 35 and following. Mark 1, 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus goes off alone. He's not driven by the uh, popularity. He's not driven by the needs of others. He's not driven by the approval of others. And the disciples make this statement. Hey, boss, everyone is looking for you. Let me translate that into American speak 2015. Hey, Jesus, hello. Like, more of yesterday, please? I mean, we need to capitalize on this momentum. You're a rock star. Come on, let's go. Poof, let's cast out some demons. Let's roll. What does Jesus say to the disciples in response to this basic request? That's verses 38 and 39. But Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well, and I'll preach to them too. That's why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. I must preach the gospel and call people to repentance. Nope, I have a mission. I have priorities. Yes, I will heal people. And you'll notice in the gospels, the healings are never things that Jesus initiates. It's people coming to him with a request. And he heals many people, but he doesn't heal everyone. What drives him to do what he does is he's on a mission. And in Mark's gospel, again, it drives to the cross. Jesus, despite the pressures, despite the pull on him, despite even what his own disciples wanted him to be, was true to what he knew God wanted and God, God's plan for him in the history of redemption. So in light of that, let me ask that question I just asked earlier. Do you know what your priorities are? Do you? Do you know what's more important than other things? And again, if your smartphone could come alive and speak Quebec and French to you, <laughs> would it support what you're saying? Or would it go, you're crazy, boss. That is not really true. Okay? So, how does this apply? How does this apply? Step number one. Step number one, schedule your priorities first. Schedule your priorities first. If it's a family night, it needs to appear in your calendar before other things appear in your calendar. If it's a date night with your spouse, it's got to appear in your calendar first. If it's just in your mind and not in your smartphone or your calendar or whatever it is that tells you where to go and what to do, then it won't happen. It won't happen. Okay? So schedule it first. I'll give you an example. I set aside Sunday afternoons with lunch with my oldest. I make one exception. That's the Oikos meal. And there's one today. Yay! Okay? But any other Sunday, right after church, that's his window. And trust me, I feel the pressure. I pastor a church. Y'all love to go out to eat on Sundays. Hey, Max, would you join us? Hey, Max, could you? Hey, Max, we're going to wherever restaurant you're going. Red Robin, name it. Boom. And I would so love to. But I made that commitment first. And so that trumps other things. And so you've got to schedule it. You've got to put it in your calendar, and it's got to be there first. That's the first step to living a life of priorities. The second thing is 
recognize that time is limited. It's finite. It's non-renewable. You, can't, you have seven days in a week. You have 24, in a, 24 hours in a day. Not 32 hours in a day. Not 10 days a week. You have 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. This is particularly, this is the stereotypical student trap, by the way. So if you're younger, I apologize for calling you out. I've lived this life. I know what it is. So your student thinking is, no problem. I can do band. I can run track. I can take all AP courses. I can also volunteer. I can do 50 other things because I have the immortal body of an 18-year-old. And then, you know, a month or two into it, there's an injury or you get sick and you miss a test and you're like, what's going on? The cape's not working right. You have limits. It would be good for you in your 20s to own the fact that you have limits and not wait till you're 30 or 40 to figure that out. Prioritize and understand time is not renewable. You could do anything. That's absolutely true. But you can't do everything. You could do anything, but you can't do everything. Third thing, when you decline, when you say no to someone, let your no be no. In other words, I can't, period. This is the hardest thing for Americans because we want to justify ourselves. But here's what happens when you justify yourself. You know, Jenny and I can't. We were going to go out on a date and blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, you know, if you're going to Lexington, you could just swing by. See, when you give a reason, it empowers the other person who's making a demand or a request of you to determine whether your reason is, in fact, legitimate enough. I learned this from one of my early mentors, a guy named Lyle, who had this kind of raspy voice. He would talk like this, Brother Max, Brother Max, you can't say yes to everything that people ask of you, and when you say no, you've got to just say no. I can't. And I'm like, Lyle, you know, they're going to press me for answers. You just look them in the eye and you say you have a commitment. I do it all the time. And I'm like, commitment? He goes, Yeah, sometimes for me, that's just walking my Airedale Terrier. (laughs) And and I'm like, isn't that lying? And he goes, nope, nope, you had a commitment, okay? So for some of you, this will be the most revolutionary thing right there. Let your no be no. Stop feeling a need to have to justify why you can't help someone, why you can't commit to someone. Just say, no, I can't, and let it sit. And that's good enough. Uh, Takeaway number four, respect other people's priorities. How's God? I texted you two hours ago. Why haven't you texted me back? Okay. I'm going to call out some of you who are younger for a minute, right? Okay. There's this latent expectation that you need to be like available 24-7 to your peeps. Where on earth is that written? Like, is that commandment number 42? Is that in Hezekiah? Like, where is that exactly? Okay, so here's the thing. Some people don't always have their phones with them. Some people will not have phones at the dinner table, or they won't have phones in the evening, or whatever it is. And so if they don't text you back, and that's not their priority to be available 24-7, respect that. I know some people who will only check email once a day. Again, when other people have priorities that mean that whatever you want or need is having to wait, I know it stinks, but wait. (laughs) And in that way, you show kindness and deference the way Jesus wants us to with one another. Respect their priorities. Last but not least, 
Make your priorities count. Make your priorities count. I watched a movie this week I haven't seen in years and years. Peggy Sue Got Married. It is the, one of the best movies. It's the twin movie of Back to the Future. Both movies debuted, I think, in 1985. Both have to do with time travel, going back into the past. And unlike Back to the Future, Peggy Sue Got Married, this is the storyline. So she's in this marriage. This guy sells cheesy electronics, and he's cheating on her. And she's going to her 25th reunion, and she's devastated. She's going to leave him. She's crowned the queen of, queen of the reunion, and she collapses. She wakes up, and it's 1960 again. And the premise of the movie is, if you could go back in time, what would you do differently? What would you change, or would you? And I got to thinking about that, and I got to thinking about college, and, and you know, the things I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't not do the uh, service I did for the old folks in the nursing home, but... I would definitely, all those Friday nights that I told Jenny, oh, can't, I got to go to work, we can't go on a date, I would have said, sure, absolutely, I'll sleep later. You see what I'm saying? Uh, when it comes to stuff related to God and his mission, or the people that are, are more important than other people in my life, I would so dial that up. And here's what I know about you. When you get to the end of your life, it's not going to be the accomplishment stuff, the track stuff, the school stuff, the... I was vice president of the year stuff. It is going to be the, the God and people stuff. So make your priorities count, right? I think this is fairly straightforward. You can do this. And Jesus, here's the thing. You have a God who understands what it is to be pressured. Everybody pressure. Everybody had expectations. Oh, Jesus, you're the Messiah, so you're going to kick off Rome, and it's going to be awesome. No, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. It's not going to work out that way. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, this is great. You fed us all now. You can feed us every day, seven days a week. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be like man again. Whoa, whoa, no, it's not like that. Oh, Jesus, you know, they had no end of what they wanted from him and what he, they wanted him to do. Jesus stayed true to his mission. Thank God he did. I want to pray for you and pray for me. God, thank you for the gift of today. Thank you that Jesus shows us what it is to live a life of priorities. God, more than anything, thank you for the gift of the Spirit. We don't have to be timid. We don't have to apologize to other people. We can let our yes be yes, our no be no. We can do the big stuff first. And the house and deadlines and other people, we say today we don't want to live that way. Help us to live a better way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.